Thank you for attending the Not Ending Special Podcast. I'm your host, Smith Sweden, and we are talking about Start With Why by Simon Sinek. We uh, went over the introduction in chapter one. So since you all um, read that one already, so we got done with that. Now we're going to go on carrots and sticks, right? That's chapter two. And it talks about manipulation versus inspiration. So manipulation versus inspiration. And I I kind of went over this a little bit last week and my thoughts about manipulation versus inspiration. And you can either do um, good manipulation versus, which is more like the inspiration versus bad manipulation. And bad manipulation is kind of like what, um, it's like the one-time seller program, right? They're gonna manipulate you to purchase something for one time because they just want your money this one time instead of selling a quality product or telling you why they could get this quality product versus just getting it um, a second time and third time over again or building that loyalty platform. So I think um, if Mr. Chin wants to, like he could probably, say that he's probably got the most loyal following I've ever seen with TNS products as in when you're talking about the detail world and you're talking about storefronts and Travis and and Jessica probably are starting this process but when you go to Steven and you purchase a product he not only tells you how to use it but why you're using it and as we know that why why you're using a product is probably one of the most important things. Um, what is that? Someone's telling Corey to mute your mic. Somebody get a mic open? I don't know. Anyway. Um, I'm so hearing a lot of feedback. So I think somebody's got their mic. So it's, it's, it's like echoing what you're saying. Oh, uh, is that what it is? Okay. So... Uh, when you think about businesses and you're thinking about um, the companies and, and you're thinking about human behavior, right? You can manipulate or you can inspire somebody to do something. So it's manipulation versus inspiration. It's a fine line, right? Because when you're inspiring somebody to use your product or use your business, you're inspiring them. And how are you inspiring them? The only way you really can inspire them is why you're doing it. You're, build, you're building a rapport and loyalty with them because that loyalty is going to get them to give you word of mouth. It's going to say, hey, I've got a detailer for you. And they do it because they love to do it. They want to bring back your car. They will work to the nth degree to make sure that they're doing the best job possible. Whereas manipulation, when you manipulate somebody, you're doing a, that's kind of like where they do that whole price game, right? They're like, oh, Walmart, come over here and get XYZ Acme product for $8, where you go to Best Buy and you get the same product, it's a name brand and you get it for 20. It depends on the quality of the product, quality of the electronics and all that. You can either buy the $8 jobby and it's a one-time purchase of that $8 jobby. And then you know that the second time, well, I should have bought the $20 because it's going to last twice as long, right? 
Whereas if you go to the detailer, that's going to use steam and they're going to use air and they're going to get into your cracks and vents. That detail is going to last a lot longer and they're using all the right chemicals rather than going to the detailer that's going to use super clean and not clean out any of the vents. The car's not going to get clean. It's not going to, it's going to dry out all the surfaces, right? You're hydrating everything. So it's not just important to inspire your customers, but you got to have that inspiration yourself to show it to your customers. And remember that pricing, you can, the game with pricing is don't be cheap, man. Like, because at the end of the day, that that cheapness is going to get you into trouble. And then you're going to have an expectation from those customers coming back to go, oh, well, you did it last time for 200 bucks. Why is it 400 bucks this time? You know? Um, and then the other tactic with that manipulation is fear. If you don't, if you're going to go buy something and they said, oh, we only have three left. Uh, Okay, so Ryan just texted, he's going to be here in a minute. Um, if you're going to use fear as a tactic, you got to think about, is it the right thing to do, right? Because you can't just go, oh, your car's going to, you need a really a good ceramic coating because of the fact that, you know, the UV and you tell them, you're, don't do it from a fear point of view, do it from an education part of view, right? Because you're there to educate the client on why they're getting stuff done rather than from a fear tactic of like, if you don't get this done, your paint's gonna eventually degrade and you're gonna have all those spots where it's, the clear coats wore off. Well, when you take that stance, the client's gonna start to build up a wall or number two, they don't know enough and they're just gonna buy the product, right? And they're not getting the education of why you're doing the ceramic and what the benefits are of the ceramic or maybe the ceramic's not even really what you should be putting on their vehicle. Um, aspirations, right? That's another that's another form of getting clients and and selling things. The aspirational message they're super effective, right? I mean, everybody's on Facebook. Oh, lose weight. Here's six steps to lose weight. You know, because they're using those aspirations to kind of pull you in to what people are selling. So when you use aspirations, they need to be an educational aspiration rather than, you know, not the, what is it? The clickbaits where you have to spend 40 minutes to try and figure out what they're selling. I did that one time. I swear I never get that 40 minutes back in my life, right? Or the gym memberships at the beginning of the year is another aspirational um, point for selling. It's a short-term response um, rather than getting a long-term response from your clients. And then there's the peer pressure one, right? That's the big one where you get the all the, the trident and the, the celebrity endorsements and impressionable youth and all that kind of the clickbait stuff. It's all the same game, like aspiration and peer pressure. The novelty of it. So novel, what is our new novelty? Is it boring? Is that what it is? Is that the new ceramic boring or something like that? That's the new novelty in the ceramic, right? We all know that it's just a game that they're playing, right? The borophene. Borophene, that's it, Travis. Yeah, borophene. Now it's not now it's not the Kevlar stuff, it's the borophene. So 
and we all know it thanks to Michael Hill and his big old brain that um, it's just another tactic that a company's using to try and get you to purchase their ceramic without really giving you what are the pH balances, you know, of that ceramic? What's the what's the longevity time of that ceramic? How much how much SiO two are you even getting out of the ceramic? You know, when you put on like Legend, it's really super thick. And why is it thick? It's because it's got a shit ton of chemicals that Dave's put in there. And is Legend a really thick, good coating? It absolutely is, right? We all know that. Is it fun to take off? No. But it's a good thick coating, coating, right? SB3, we know that it's a good coating. And some of the bigger, and they're not putting any graphene in their stuff because why? We know that it's a good coating and they're not using those gimmicks. And so it's easier to be loyal to these brands because of the fact that they're not using any of the aspirational and the fear-based, oh, you need this or you're not going to get this quality of a product. Um, so novelty. And then we've got uh, the, the whole iPhone thing is another novelty product, right? So you have... The thing that I love the most is the whole where they talk about Razor and he's talking about how when Motorola came out with the Razor, I had a Razor. Um, I don't know many people that didn't have a Razor at the time, right? Because it was the new Fandangoed phone and um, I'm not sure if now I'm like aging myself with some of you guys. But, you know, I remember my case cell phone back in the day which came in like a little carrying case and then you had to have an ant special antenna on top of your car to even have a cell phone. And it was like a ridiculous amount of money to have one of those. And then the iPhone came out not too long, like a couple of years after the Razor and the iPhone gave less, well, it gave a better, a better platform, but it didn't have as many buttons to push and all that had that single button. And, but you're able to touch screen stuff. And then Razor, instead of moving with innovation, they just stopped innovating as much, the Razor, right? They stopped doing those innovation because they could have kept that little piece of the pie, but they stopped innovating. They just did a one and done. Uh, let's see. The price you pay for the money you make. And that kind of goes into the manipulations, right? There's a big difference between repeat business and loyalty. Repeat business is when people do business with multiple time with you multiple times, right? And that goes into why you're why are you purchasing a product from uh, Acme A and then Beta or whatever you want to call it, right? Because if I'm going to go purchase, if I'm going to go to Michigan or if I'm going to go see Stephen. I know that when I go in to purchase a product from Travis or Steven, that I'm going to get an education if I don't know that product. There's plenty of PNS products that I've never even probably heard of or seen, but at least I'm going to get an education and that breeds loyalty. And then on top of that, it's about your customer service of the why that you're putting that product on the vehicle when you're doing it. Uh, the another another thing is the price you pay is in mail-in rebates. For us, it's the discounts. 
why are you giving a discount instead of maybe doing a ceramic coating on the window, right? So it's that whole price you pay. Manipulations lead to transactions and not loyalties is another key point. Um, manipulation is never good. And we already went over that. So the alternative perspective, right? Which is the golden circle of, of why, how, and what. And when you look at the circle, there's this little inner circle of why the outer circle is how, and then, well, I'm sorry, the mid circle is how, and the outer circle is why. But no matter what, you're always starting with the why. And for, let's see, we already went, Romero, why are you detailing cars? We already went over Travis. What's your why for detailing? Sorry, can you repeat that again? What's your why for detailing? My why? Yeah. Um, kind of freedom. Uh, I mean, I, I, I dedicated my career to mechanical repairs and diagnosing for so long that I didn't want to move away from automotive, but I didn't know exactly what direction. And I liked the aspect of, you know, clean cars and stuff like that. So I started getting attracted to that side of the business. Um, slowly, obviously, you know, not like it's kind of similar to what I do as uh, engine repairs and stuff like that. There are jobs that you just don't want to do, but it's part of it. Um, and it's a it's just a it changes the mood because it's it's different than having to figure out a problem and then fixing it and doing that kind of stuff. It's 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 a different feeling. It's still hard to work, but it's a different feeling. So would you say that part of your why is honesty and integrity of doing your job to bring back the vehicle, whether you're doing mechanical work or doing detailing to bring it back to its best potential? Yes, because I mean, both and, both things that I do is pretty much restoring and, and try to bring the cars back to optimum performance or optimum uh, just appearance and you know protecting much, them. You know how much money you got back, Heather, on her car? Not sure. I was going to contact her to see how that went. I think it was thousands of dollars. So she paid you, I think it was around 800 bucks, right? In total. Yeah. So to fix that little stick in her car yeah but at the end of the day because you did that and you were able to go over her records and you cared about what was happening with her car and you educated her on reading the all everything that they were doing instead of just saying oh well you're the technician you know what's going on you were she was able to go back to ford and get like somewhere like seven grand or something like that back Holy crap. Yeah, it was in the thousands and thousands of dollars that Ford refunded her. Nice. Yeah. So I'm, I'm happy for that. Yeah, it was pretty rad. So I think that that goes into like you're caring about you're going through paperwork with a customer. Yeah. Right. You care about what the customer's paying for and you're educating them on really what the needs of their car are and why they need to get that done and and the importance of reading the material because she was always like well I guess I got to get it done the, the mechanic said I needed to get it done 
but as you saw she had her what was it for example like she went in and then three months later they changed out her spark plugs again mm -hmm. yeah stuff like that and they had to go through all of her records and ended up refunding her all the stuff that they had done and overcharge her for yeah so that was pretty rad so yeah and that and that's something that I typically do with a lot of my customers, especially when it's an uh, issue that is potentially within warranty. Um, and sometimes I'll lose, I'll lose work because of it. But I know at the end of the day that if I was in that position, I would want somebody to do the same thing for me. So it's kind of one of those things that um, I'll just do and treat people as I want to be treated. Yeah, it's called integrity. So. The why starts with your passion for your job, whereas the what, everybody knows what they're doing on their car and then how is the process, right? For me, my why starts off with why I'm doing the job, but then my how, I explain it to my customers and I explain what the product is. And depending on their vehicle, which product they should be using because of the fact that every car is different, every substrate is different, and they need to be educated on what we're using. Now, some customers don't really care. Some are like, just do what you do, and then I'll pay you. And that's like the Heather, right? She's like, you're a professional, and I'm going to pay you for, I don't know any of this stuff, and you've been educated. But still understanding the process and explaining the process is paramount in that loyalty factor. Um, let's see. Um, one of the things about it, Simon talks about is Apple, because he uses Apple a lot. And he talks about two different slogans of Apple, right? We make great computers. They're beautifully designed simply to use and user-friendly. Want to buy one. And then he goes to the Apple's actual selling point. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo. We believe in thinking differently. The way we challenge the status quo is making our products beautifully designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. And we happen to be a great compute. We happen to be, uh, and we happen to make great computers. Want to buy one. So. Out of those two statements, they're basically the exact same statement. It's just the wordage, right? It's being a wordsmith. Do you have any comments, Travis? I know that Jessica's really good at all your guys' stuff. Uh, um, which part are you referring to? Um, she has a really good what, why, and how when she's selling a product. Like as in a swarm of coding or um, why they're saying, why they might want PPF or right. maybe they don't want PPF, they shouldn't get PPF, but they should get a planet. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, the basic slogan for our company is uh, our focus is preservation and protection. So when you're coming to us, you're, you're getting your car reset you're getting it back to as close to new as we can. But at the same time, if somebody comes in and they just want, you know, their car to look showroom, but they come in and there's no paint on it, you know, our main goal is preserving first 
and then protecting. Um, so that's sort of how we look at things. What about you, Corey? Yeah, I mean, I'd say the same thing with 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 uh, Travis. It's more or less, I'm not trying to. Now, I try to educate people on that. I'm not trying to take, especially, you know, some of the older, I do work on a lot of older cars, you know, at least eight to 10 years old. He was a little broke up. Of, <laughs> You're breaking up a little bit. Those guys, I mean, there's already a ton of scratches and stuff. So Sal, um, if you want me to go, if you are, it can last as long as you take care of Oh, you broke up way too much. It's okay. Romero, do you have anything to say about it? No. Uh, sorry. It's okay, Corey. Hot, then I'm not going to go crazy. <laughs> it's okay. Romero, do you have anything? Well, I guess I'm, I'm kind of similar in, in that aspect with them. It's more setting expectations with customers if they want something more than explaining it to them and letting them know how it may reflect on the price and just have them decide if it's something that they're okay with. If not, then we just do what we can. Perfect. All right, so chapter four, this is not opinion, this is biology. So it all comes back to like the gut decision, right? And, and the principles of the golden circle of the how, what, and why. Um, when you're looking at, when you make a decision based on your gut, like, um, How many times do you think you're right when you make a decision based on your gut, Travis? Um, I would say at least 95% of the time. Like if, if I'm going off my gut feeling, it's usually correct. Um, you know, very rarely does that, that go against me. Um, I usually go with my gut every time because it's usually the right, the right call. Yeah. Um, and that, that can be anywhere from, you know, my first interaction with a customer, whether they, you know, my gut feeling with them is, okay, this customer is going to be a problem. You know, we should just stop it at this point. Or um, my gut feeling is uh, this, this paint's too thin. I'm just, I'm going to stop now. Um, just any number of things like that. Usually your gut is telling you, that for a reason and so i personally like to follow that romero do your um i'll say like 80 percent um usually go if i'm okay with my gut decision but there are times i guess i run into situations where i question myself a lot I think that's the, the biggest issue that I've been dealing with. 
Um, but typically I do have a good sense that dealing with customers and kind of read them to a point where I can think where um, there, there might be a trouble customer or not. Um, typically one of the biggest hints is when they're asking about pricing right away and not, not being so focused on, on potentially the quality or, or the types of uh, products or uh, parts being used in their vehicles. And they're more concerned about price. And that's typically kind of a red flag for me. Yeah, that's definitely, <laughs> it's a red flag. I. It's more about changing their mindset, I think, at that point. Um, when you're talking about your gut and your biological need, it's, it's that, it's that feeling of connection, right? When you have that, when you have that gut feeling, you're being connected to, to something that you're like, oh, what's going on here? Um, it, let me just read it because it's kind of interesting. We have a biological need to belong. It makes us feel connected and safe. This makes us trust the brands we perceive to share our beliefs. We'd go to great lengths, including spending good money to get that feeling. So for me, my prime example is not about detailing. It's about Apple, right? I am an Apple fanatic. Like I've, and it took me a long time to go over to the Apple computer. I had an Apple iPhone when they came out. I had like the iPhone three. So I don't know if they even had a two or one, but I had the iPhone three, right? But I was still using PC because that's what I knew. And I, and I used apples when I was a kid, but as an adult, I used PC. And then um, I did such a good job at work that my captain gave me an Apple. It was like a $2,500 Apple computer. And, and it took me a while to change over, but it was easy because I had the iPhone, right? So there's a lot of, a lot of stuff, but then I noticed like, oh, it integrates with my iPad, it integrates with my iPhone. I didn't realize that I could get everything onto my computer, on my iPhone and my iPad. And then I got the watch and so on. So it's all about integration and the tools that you use and the ease of the tools that you use that breeds the loyalty. So when I went out to get a new computer, because my other computer was a 2008, and now it's 2023, and I can't get onto my internet site and do a lot of stuff because it's just an old operating system. But the reason why I'm saying this is because Apple has shown me that I can integrate so many different systems in my life with the ease of use, right? And the ability to use all my devices and still be able to use it on my computer, right? So that bred loyalty and I ended up spending like $3,000 on a brand new computer, a new, you know, printer, I got iPods, all that kind of stuff, right? Well, it comes out of loyalty. I know that I'm going to have a good warranty because I've had the issue of something I go back to Apple and they give me a brand new phone right? I've done it with HP and they just said, you're out of luck. Well, that kind of goes back to, well, what's the right thing to do versus the wrong thing to do? And it goes back to that whole gut feeling of like, well, I just need to get an Apple. I know it costs more money, but in the long run, 
my last computer lasted over 12 years. So I know that I'm going to get a good, you know, product rather than every couple years. So my gut decision, I'm just going to get an Apple and I'm super happy with it. The other thing is when my, when I get a customer that's doing like Romero said, and my customer is asking about pricing, I just jump right in and go, well, are you more worried about the price? Or are you more worried about quality and longevity of the lasting of the product? And that's when I find out, I just ask my customer straight up, like, what are you, what are you looking for price wise? And let's build a package for you for your price wise. Well, I'll tell my customer straight up, I'm sorry, I'm not the detailer for you, but you know, just make sure you get somebody that's IDA approved. Once I start going into, make sure you get somebody whose skills validated, make sure you're talking to somebody that knows their product, challenge them on these questions, then it becomes a whole nother value system to them. My knowledge, skills, and abilities then become a different value to that customer <clears throat> that was only wanting a certain price of spend. Well, I only want to spend $400. So I have a, I have a customer who's a multimillionaire and he's a penny pincher. And that penny pincher calls me up the other day. And he's also one of my mentors because he is such a, such a big guy in reality and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, when it comes to me, I say, look, um, We'll just call him Tom, even though that's not even his name. I say, hey, look, Tom, um, he just got a new Tesla and someone quoted him $100 to ceramic, ceramic his Tesla. And we all know that's a, just a load of crap. Tom's just looking for a low price at that point in time. He did the same thing when I did a black Sprinter van for him. And I said, look, Tom, you can either pay for my skills, abilities, and knowledge, or you can pay the $100 and I hope the ceramic is put on right. And I hope the ceramic lasts for a while because your expectancy is not gonna last that long with, they're gonna put it on for a hundred bucks. What kind of ceramic can you get for a hundred dollars and then to put it on a brand new car? I don't, we all know that's kind of crap, right? So my, my bull crap meter went up and then we started talking more. And at the end of the day, we agreed on a price that I'm comfortable giving it to him at that price. And he's comfortable for me giving him that price, but it's that whole bull crap meter. And I just called it out right away, but I did it in an integrous way that educated him on what was happening with that ceramic and a hundred dollars is ridiculous. I don't um, even think you can buy a bottle of ceramic for a hundred dollars. I don't know any ceramic you can buy for under a hundred dollars. Not even the crap stuff. <laughs> Maybe like a couple years ago, you could get like a forty nine ninety nine, mm -hmm. like ceramic on Facebook that they were selling. I don't know. <laughs> I just I just laughed at that, and we all know that that was a red flag, right? So. And it also goes into when corporations communicate what they do by pointing out all the great features about their products, they sell, they appeal, but they also inspire us, right? And that goes back to the Apple. Um, 
for what the corporations that communicate why and what um, we take. This is my writing is not very well for my notes, guys. Sorry. Um, uh, for the other corp for other corporations that communicate why they do what they do, we take them to the symbols of our values and beliefs and go to great lengths to include their products in our lives. Um, I think that that Bob and Dave have done a great job of of incorporating loyalty with detailers, right? And they keep doing it. They build on their, they build on it and they build on it. And I think that Dave is is great with that because Dave doesn't want to make something chemically wise that he wouldn't use himself. And I think um, SV3 is another prime example of, of of he's not going, like when I've had conversations with Barry, it's always, well, I use this product in my house. He's used industrial and marine in his own home, on his own vehicles um, or RVs or whatever. He uses it on his own vehicles. And that kind of like tells you like, oh yeah, this, this guy, this guy's using this product on his own stuff. And he's kind of, when he explains to you the process and you can call up PNS and talk to somebody and, and they can explain to you the process. Like when you talk to Keith, like, Hey, um, when I learned about crystal wash was Keith from like a year ago. And I'm like, Hey, can you explain to me what really crystal wash does? It was a right away. He was telling me why I'm going to use that crystal wash not what I'm using it for, but why I'm going to use it. And that sold me on the crystal wash product. And as Romero knows, when we do those fire engines, we had to crystal wash a whole type three fire engine because it was horrible. But that crystal wash at the end of the day was our savior for getting that piece of equipment as clean as possible. Wouldn't you say Romero? Yeah, definitely. I mean, at that point, I've heard about the product, but I haven't used it. I had already bought it myself, but I'm at, at that point didn't use it enough to understand the, the purpose of it. But I learned that day what it could do. Yeah. So uh, let's see here. Where are we at? So when you when you look at like the golden circle that we're talking about and our brains have that structure obviously right that the whole limbic system and and you guys haven't read these chapters yet which is hilarious but when you get into this chapter on chapter 3 I want you to pay attention to what he starts talking about the limbic system and the process of rational analytical thoughts um, and with the new cortex area, right? And versus the limbic is where you process feelings. So, and Colin Powell was a prime example of when he was in charge of the troops and, and he made most of his decisions based on, I can't quote it, I don't even know where it's at in the book, but it was all about the limbic system. So he, 
feels like he has enough information to make a processing thought about, about the subject of giving an order for our military to do something. And what it is, is like when you get 60% of the information, you start to get that gut feeling right away. And then around 80%, you're, that's when your neurocortex uh, is going to take over and it's going to be too much thought versus your initial thought, which was your gut feeling. And that's why test taking is so important. Like teachers say, oh, just go with your first thought. And the reason why is because usually your gut or your limbic system is going to recognize it. It's a recognizing pattern that happens um, with your limbic system and your gut and how that's all like, oh yeah, no, I need to do that. That I need answer C because I feel like that's the right one. It's not like, well, I've done this. I've done, I've looked at A, B, C, and D. Most of us can take a look at a test question and then look at the answers on A, B, C, D and go, oh, that one looks right, right away without even having a hesitation. And if you actually read all the questions, there's always two answers that are gonna be very similar. And then you have one that's completely incorrect and one that's kind of like, oh, I don't know. It's kind of like, it's there to throw you off. So usually when you answer those questions, it's all based on your gut or you already know that that, that answer is kind of like pushing out at you right away. Corporations seeking um, to command a loyal following have to connect with people's limbic brains, that feeling in our gut, because gut decisions happen there. They can do that by structuring their customers' buying decisions in order that takes the customer from the limbic to the neocortex parts of his or her brain. So that's the why, right? So when Travis was saying like, that they wanna protect and preserve, that automatically makes a happy feeling in people. Oh, they wanna protect my car. They wanna preserve my car. That's a happy feeling. Automatically, that's like all the little, your serotonin is gonna start flowing in the brain and your receptor starts are gonna start going off. Your gut says, yes, that is, that's where I need, I need to go to that detailer because they're gonna protect and preserve my car. Let's see, chapter five, clarity, discipline, and consistency. When I say clarity, discipline, and consistency, what does that mean to you, Travis? Um, I mean, I kind of relate that to business. Um, so consistency is consistently um, conveying the same message, um, treating everybody the same, um, making sure every car gets the same process. Um, I already forgot the other two that you said. Um, you said clarity, consistency, and what was the other one? Discipline, that's your way. Discipline. <laughs> yeah, she keeps me disciplined. Um, so clarity is, uh, again, related to business because it's, it's clarity in how you're conveying that message to your customers, how you're... Um, talking about the service, talking about the products. Um, you're being very clear and transparent of what you're using, how you're doing it, how it's working, and how it's going to help you. Yeah, so you have the clarity, which is why. Right. Right? You have the discipline, which is how. You have systems set in place of a step-by-step -step process. 
right? And and then you have the what, which is the consistency, right? Yep. Yeah. And that kind of, I mean, it's kind of a simple chapter, but when you take a look at it, that's really what it's about. Like the, and it's super easy when you break it down. Clarity is why and discipline is, is how and the consistency is what. Um, and it has to, that what's consistency is, has to be evident in all sorts of everything that you do from the customer talking to your customer from the very beginning to the very end where they pick up their vehicle and having that consistency of the interaction, the communication. Um, I think Jess was telling me you guys send little teaser pictures out, right? Of like during the process of what's going on with the vehicle. Right, Travis? I don't think he heard that. Um, so I think Jess was telling me that she sends little teaser pictures out through the process of the vehicle. So that way the customer has a consistent picture of what's going on with their vehicle and that direct communication the whole time. And that kind of goes into that authentic authenticity, right? Because when you're when you are you are your brand. So when you're being authentic, um, that balance that you're trying to find is already there when you're being authentic. And it's having that clear, consistent picture with your client. I think Travis accidentally had to get off. Um, the status quo is, is always part of the why, right? With integrity of why. So, I mean, these chapters, guys, are like super simple, right? It kind of just reminds us of basic concepts that we learned in kindergarten, right? Clear communication, which is why are we doing things? You know, you got to figure out how, what, and why, and where, and all that kind of stuff when you're younger. And it kind of goes back to all those simple procedures you learn in kindergarten class, you know, be, be nice to others, treat others as you want to be treated and all that kind of stuff. I mean, uh, let's see. Um, there was, uh, I got to read this because I think it's like funny about airlines. Golden, the the Continental Airlines was the worst airline in the industry in the 1980s to rank as one of the best corporations to work for in America by the mid-1990s. He had turned the airline around principally by working on rebuilding the employees' trust in the system. He rallied Continental Airlines employees around the airline's golden circle. So... What this guy Gordon did when he built, when he rebuilt Continental Airlines is that he started with the employees and the and trust in the employees, right? Like you got to have him happy employees because once you have those happy employees in return, those employees are going to be happy to customers and they're going to be able to 
to kind of forge that trust back into its customers with why you want to use Continental Airlines. And what time is it? Oh, we're almost at our hour. Um, do you guys have any comments so far before I keep moving on? Anything that came up for you guys that you want to talk about? Why we're why I just said that? No? Okay. Um, let's see, chapter, I'm going to, I think that's pretty much almost at the end for today, because we've gone three, four, and yeah, in chapter five, so we'll start off with, oh, Travis, you're back on, did you get cut off for a second? Yeah, Jess just gave me a phone call and it cut me off. I had to log back in. Oh, okay. So I didn't know what I missed, but. Well, we were just finishing up chapter five. Um, We were talking about Continental Airlines and how they decided to, Gordon, this guy named Gordon in the 80s, basically Continental Airlines is one of the worst airlines, right? Well, he came in and, and was able to change it by the 90s to a airline that you can trust. And that's because he started with the employee, making the employee happy. And the employees went to the customers and they were happy and they were able to trust the airlines again because of the fact that he changed the employee mindset. Because your employee mindset is what's going to help all the way from that clarity and consistency and discipline. When you have an employee and they're happy to be working in a, an environment then they're going to just show that with what they're showing to their customers. They're going to be wanting to answer their customers' questions. They're going to want to help them onto, oh, you have an extra bag? It's okay, sir, ma'am. Let's see what we can do to help you out today. Well, if you have someone who's unhappy with their hourly rate, with the benefits that they're getting, they're not going to go that extra mile for the customer. They're going to, they're going to be pissed off that they're working there. They don't want to do anything extra for the customer. And they don't really care if that customer comes back or not. Because at the end of the day, they're not even happy doing their job. But when you change the mindset of your employees, then it kind of works as a fingering system and it branches out to every piece of your business to, to keep those customers coming in and being loyal because even your employees are able to answer questions. Just like if you want to be like Travis knows what is uh, his name that I went to MTE with. Um, I'm having a brain fart on his name. Anyway, they have an employee, Travis and Jess do. Oh, and uh, Jared. Jared, he was super, super nice. And he was learning so much stuff at MTE. But when Jess and Travis took him to MTE, and gave him that knowledge and brought him in as a family group member to MTE. How did that reflect on Jared when he got back to work, Travis? How do you feel it, it came out to his output? Um, 
I think it definitely changed. Um, I mean, how he viewed, you know, how we treat him, I guess, you know, like you said, it, we, you know, we took him there basically as like one of our families. So, you know, I think his outlook on the job in general um, was better at that point. Do you have any experience with that, Romero? You were a supervisor for a while. Um, yeah, uh, leading a group of guys in a shop can be challenging for sure. The biggest struggles were um, me being the youngest guy there, and I was the one leading them, leading guys that were already in the industry for 20, 30 years was a huge challenge, but being able to uh, show them the confidence that I can lead, that I, I knew a lot more than my age uh, had to offer, or at least that's what they would see, that my age was something, something you know, number. Um, but once they realized how much experience I had and how much I knew, I was able to help them and assist them by giving them procedures and showing them different ways to do the same job they were doing, but being more effective in it. So slowly was able to implement uh, um, standard operating procedures for them. And from there it was a lot easier for them to understand what we were trying to do as a team and telling them the why made it easier and made it clear for them to want to continue forward. And they were happy um, to help the dealership, the service department um, be successful, even in hard times. Yeah. So that kind of goes into leaders need a following, right? Because with that, with you explaining that why, how, how many people, like how many people did you supervise at a time? I had two loop techs and then I had at a point 11 other technicians. Yeah, roughly. so yeah, like, you had like 13 people. And when you explain the why to these 13 people, how many people do you think got on board right away? What is the percentage? Pretty much about 90% of them. There was still a yeah, couple of them that were on the fence, but once they quickly realized that the more we are able to explain to customers and to our service advisors, the more we're able to help out our parts department, it's easier for them to help us. So the, the faster they're able to perform their roles, the faster we can get back to our cars and get them ready for our customers. And the quickly we're able to move on to the next car and more money for everyone. Yeah. And did you feel like you had to show that smile and that charisma when you were when you're chatting with them to kind of keep the energy level up so they wouldn't dip off at like two o'clock every day pretty much uh, i had to i had to, i was transparent with those guys too with everybody in in the service department they i would show them my hours and see that uh one thing was talking about it and actually doing the the work was a whole different other thing but they would see what i was earning what what i was producing every week and then they started to understand on why my ways of doing certain jobs or certain certain things that even though they thought i was wasting time it actually made me a lot more efficient a lot faster when i uh 
did any service or repairs because I was I was always one of the technicians with the highest uh, efficiency percentages in the shop. Because you also were teaching them how to do that, right? Yeah. A lot of the time I did spend, I was going around showing the guys and whenever they needed assistance where they ended up in a situation where they didn't know what to do next, I was a go-to guy for, for all those gentlemen. Yeah. So the huge thing is like every leader that is a why still needs a how follower. So every leader is a why, but they need how followers because you can tell them the why, Mm -hmm. but without having how they're going to get there, then it kind of makes their energy level. Well, how, well, I get the why, but how are we going to get there? You kind of got to bring it in, right? You got to kind of bring it into full circle. So we're naturally doing that. Yeah, a lot of times it's stepping in and, and just taking on the lead and showing them the whole way, kind of like, you know, pulling them by the hand. And sometimes it's kind of bad and sometimes you have to do that. But once they understand the process one or two times and after that, they should be able to hold their own and, you know, might take a hit a little bit, but it's for the greater good long term, because then at the, after that point, you're you're able to have the confidence in them to take that those leads and and be able to handle those jobs and you can move on to the next thing that might need need a improvement on. Perfect. Travis, do you have any input? Um, not specifically. Like I, I agree with a lot of what he's saying. Um, I also have been in a situation where um, I was an assistant store manager for a large sporting goods store. Um, I oversaw about 20 people. But at the same time, I had management above me that didn't allow me any autonomy and basically didn't give me a how of how to meet some of these expectations that they had for the company that were unrealistic. Um, So I've sort of seen both sides of how that can work. Um, You know, how... Also, if you put some of your middle management people in a situation where they don't know how to do something um, and you're telling them just just get it done, that uh, that's not good leadership either. Perfect. And a lot of a lot of things is all about like challenging, right? The status quo. Because you need to be able to, to inspire the employees or people around you by trust. And how do you get that trust is like you and Romero talking about the why and the what, right? Or the why and the how, sorry. And what you're doing, it, it all goes back to that clarity and the discipline, right? Do you have any thoughts on it, Corey? No, I mean, a lot of it's the same stuff, but I mean, I got to that point when I was at the dealership is, you know, you, people start to treat me like shit. So I, I stopped caring and I wouldn't stay till, you know, six, seven o'clock every night. I, it was like, nope, five o'clock. I'm out. This guy can wait another day, whatever. 
Yeah, kind of kind of brings the whole thing down when an employer isn't giving you that trust, isn't giving you the whys and inspiring you and treating you better to to do your job, right? Well, and even then, if I stay till seven o'clock, get the car done, sometimes you'd realize, hey, they didn't even pick it up till like two days later. And you're like, well, why the heck did I bust my butt and stay an extra two hours and not go see my kids just to get this car done to not even have any appreciation? So, yeah, right on. Well, we're at our hour mark now, guys. Do you have anything else to say about uh, the last four chapters? No, we kind of discussed it and beat into the ground. A lot of this book is super repetitive about differences in the the why, the how, and the what, right? Because when he gets in a gold circle, do you guys remember the the three circles in the habit book? No. No. I challenge you to go look at the three circles and it's all that carrot and stick type stuff. It all okay. goes back brain and how the brain works and and the carrot and versus the carrot and the stick right okay yeah 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 it's all it's all how the brain works but it's it's just about thinking differently and and using what you can to inspire not only your employees but your customers of why you're doing things so all right well then we'll do it uh do you guys want thursday or Friday next week. Let's see, what was my schedule even going to be next Thursday? Yeah, we could do, do you guys like next Friday or Thursday? What works for you guys? Neither one works. Travis? Um, preferably Thursday, um, just because usually on Friday, it's sort of the end of my, well, not not the end of the week, but um, you should try and do something on Friday night. Oh, yeah. All right. So we'll do it next Thursday. We eventually um, are going to change to Tuesdays because uh, there's a couple people that want to join the book club, but they can only do it on Tuesdays. Do you guys have any objections to Tuesdays? Nope. Uh, nope. I don't. Uh, Tuesday sounds great. Yeah. So in August, we're going to be changing to Tuesdays. And did you guys... I'm going to stop the recording because I'm just going to talk to it. So, so stop recording.